number 17, Acts chapter number 17. If you were here this morning, we, Lord willing, we're going to come back to Acts 15. Hopefully, Lord willing, this coming Sunday morning, we're going to finish up that chapter because in the remainder of the chapter, we are given some great truth regarding how we should treat each other as Christians. You know, we stopped in verse number 11. Peter said, we believe that salvation is through grace, okay? And so... You know, that's the message of salvation. But as they continued, there were some some charges, there were some instructions that were given in that council for how we can help each other as Christians. Because even though we're saved by the grace of God, that doesn't mean that we abuse our liberty. And he continues on, and we'll see that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. I hope you'll... Make sure that you're here and, and pray for that. It's a, the remainder of that chapter is just full. It's full of great truth and helps for us on how to treat each other and relate to each other in the church. But tonight I bring us to Acts chapter number 17. We were here Wednesday night and we looked at verses 10 through 14. We spoke about the matter of being students of the Word. And we saw the Bereans in verses 10 through 14. Uh, Paul has... Um, Persecution has come in verses 5 through 9 to Thessalonica and the believers have sent Paul further. It's not that Paul is quitting, it's not that Paul is running, but the believers loved him so that they sent him on further away from the persecution. And so he came to Berea in verse number 10 and he preaches and he preaches and then the same thing happens. The, the people from Thessalonica, the, the pot stirs, they, they came to Berea. They didn't like that Paul was preaching And they began to stir things up there as well. The persecution continued there in Berea in verse number 14. The Bible says, And then immediately the brethren, the brethren there in Berea, they sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. And so then in verse number 15, uh, we find Paul coming to another city. And so we're going to look. Let let me just read. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter tonight. And I really don't have a title tonight. Really in the remainder of... Acts chapter number 17, Paul is in Athens and he is dealing with the culture and the environment of what's going on in Athens. And you'll see as we read, Athens was a city that was, the Bible says, that was wholly given to idolatry. I mean, it was wicked. And so really tonight, I just, I want us to see how do we respond When we live in a pagan society, you say, Pastor, I don't think we live in a pagan society. Have you looked around lately? I mean, if you you just had your eyes open a little bit. So how do we respond? Now, many times the easy way to respond is just to complain. Right? And we're good at that. I'm good at that. We just complain about it. Man, all these crazy heathens and pagans and all these different things. And by the way, we use that word pagan. One of the the big characteristics of paganism is that they are polytheistic in their belief system, which simply means they, they just worship a lot of gods. Okay, They don't just worship one god. Now, they will bring it down to, we have all these gods, but we're going to bring it down to worshiping in this, this one God per se. But they're very polytheistic in their worship. And that's what Paul confronts and that's what he is confronted with in Acts chapter number 17 beginning in verse 15. So how do we respond to that? Do we just throw up our hands? Do we just complain? Do we just give up? Well, I think Paul gives us some, really he gives us the illustration, the pattern by which to follow in responding to this type of culture and this type of society. And so let's just read here tonight. And I'm going to stay very close to my notes tonight. And let me say this right off the bat. I have a lot of points, sub-points, and sub-sub-points. If you don't get all that, it's okay tonight, okay? But it's good for me. It helps me to break down this passage, okay? I, I pray that you'll just get the main context of what we're talking about tonight when we, looked, when we look at how Paul handled and responded to the people in this city. Verse 15, 
The Bible says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Let me say this right from the get-go. The answer is not to become like the pagans. Paul did not get there and see all of the wickedness and all of the sin in Athens and say, you know what, I should just become a part of this. No, the Bible says he was stirred. It ought to stir you when you see sin. It ought to stir you when you hear sin. It ought to stir you when you see things that, you know, probably 20, 30 years ago we would never have seen. Hey, you drive down the interstate now and you see things you would have never seen 20 or 30 years ago. That ought to stir something in your heart. That that ought to make your blood boil a little bit. We, We ought not become so comfortable with the sin of this world that things like that don't bother us. It ought to stir something in us. And the Bible says that his spirit was stirred in him. Notice this, and I mentioned this, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Listen, when you see sin and it doesn't bother you, you're becoming like what you're living in the midst of. And we can never do that. You're allowing the the environment that you're living in. You're allowing yourself to become like it. You're not sensitive to sin anymore. Sin doesn't bother you anymore. Hey, by the way, how, how do I know that, Pastor? When you can sit and watch television programs that are full of cursing, that are full of soft pornography, that are full of scenes that are not appropriate, and it doesn't bother you. Or even worse, you laugh at it. Then you know that you're losing your sensitivity to sin. When I can listen to things that I ought not listen to. When I can listen to profanity and it doesn't bother me. Hey, listen up. Listen to me right now. If you can listen to profanity and it doesn't bother you, you have become insensitive to sin. Because the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Okay, when I can sit and watch pornography or even soft pornography and it doesn't bother me, I have become desensitized to sin. When I can sit and watch scenes on television that are absolutely inappropriate, I have become desensitized to sin. And you are, and I am, and all of us are bombarded with those things more and more and more and more and more. Commercials are full of the homosexual agenda. And if you're not paying attention, you don't even see it. And if you're not sensitive to sin, you really don't see it. Paul came to Athens... And the Bible says that his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Verse 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. By the way, let me back up just a moment. We're going to get to this and I'm not going to be long tonight. I'm going to do my best. Let me back up and talk to the young people a little bit. Especially the young people in here tonight, whether it's teenagers, whether it's young adults. If you're in here tonight and you're not married yet, you ought to be living in such a way right now that you're going to be ready for the marriage altar. Don't defile yourself in your mind right now. Men and women alike. I'm not just talking to the men tonight. I'm not just talking to the young men tonight. Young women have a problem with it too. Don't defile your mind tonight with things that you ought not defile your mind with. Don't give pieces of yourself away to people who... Those pieces don't belong to. God has somebody picked out for you. And one of these days you're going to step to the marriage altar and you're going to give yourself hopefully 100% to that young lady and that young lady is going to give herself 100% to you, young man. 
But if you've given yourself piece by piece by piece to other young men or other young ladies, whether it's actual or physically, or excuse me, actual or, or just in your mind, listen, you've given this piece and this piece, you're, you're coming to the altar only part of the person that God wants you to come to the altar to be. And so don't do it. Live pure right now. Don't let society dictate who you are. Don't let culture dictate what you, excuse me, what you should do and what's cool and what's not cool and what's accepted and what's not accepted. If you want to know what's accepted, get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. If you want to know what's acceptable, get in the Word of God. Because, here, here, Pastor, why? Because some, someday somebody, one of you young men, is going to have to stand up here. And if all you're doing right now is filling yourself with the world, you're not preparing yourself to stand behind this pulpit. You say, well, Pastor, the Lord may not call me to be a pastor. He may not, but He might. He just might. And so prepare yourself right now. But he, I mean, here's the key to begin with. Whether He calls me to be a pastor or whether He calls me just to be a, a good husband and a good man in a church, and, and I don't necessarily like the term, but a good layman in the church, it doesn't matter what He calls us to be. He's called us all to surrender ourselves completely to Him. Not necessarily to ministry, but, but just to surrender ourselves to Him. That's where it begins anyway. When we completely surrender ourselves to Him and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Now, He may call you to be a pastor. He may call you to be a missionary. He may not. But it starts with just completely surrendering myself to Him. So why wouldn't you do that tonight and say, Lord, I'm going to live the way you want me to live. And whether you call me to be a pastor, whether you call me to be a pastor's wife, whether you call me just to be a good man in my church, I'm going to prepare myself right now. Boy, Paul's, and I, I know, I, I'm getting away a little bit, but Paul was stirred. And we ought to be people who are stirred. When we see certain things, verse 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some say, what would this babbler say? Others, excuse me, others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strength, excuse me, strange things things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians, notice this, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Is it wrong to, to learn? Brother Caleb spoke about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Is it wrong to get knowledge? Is it wrong? No, absolutely not. But, but in this verse, he's speaking of individuals. They, they lived to hear some new thing. They lived to get more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge or to hear about some new thing. But here's the thing, they never did anything with it. And we can get knowledge after knowledge after knowledge and we can learn this and learn this fact and listen to this person and, and have all of these things. But if we don't ever do anything with it, what good is it? If we don't ever take what we know and disseminate it, then what good is it? And by the way, that's one of the responses tonight. It's not throwing up our hands. It's not giving up. It's not saying, well, you know, everything is lost. The culture is lost and, and society is lost. No, no, no. It's taking what I know and taking what I have and learning more and then using it. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may, excuse me, they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him, hey, it's a great verse. If you're in the habit of marking verses in your Bible, you ought to mark verse 28. For in Him we live and move 
and have our being. We're nothing without Him. Absolutely nothing. But we can become so proud and puffed up sometimes in our own hearts, but we're nothing without Him. He gives us life and breath. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Not only is He the Creator, not only does He give us life, and not only does He give us breath, but as Christians, He is, or he, at least He ought to be everything to us. Our world, it's, it's all about Him, right? We, we don't compartmentalize and part of, part of my life is about me and part of my life is about God. No, no. As a Christian, my entire life is about the Lord Jesus Christ. My entire being is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, for in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius and Areop, excuse me, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Father, help us and teach us tonight. Father, help us to have the right responses to the world in which we live. Father, help us to be who we ought to be as Christians. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you'll do in our hearts tonight. And Father, I do want to pray if there would be one here tonight that has never come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures, the shed blood on the cross of Calvary which washes away our sins. If there's one here tonight who has never placed their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, Father, I pray that tonight would be that very night. I pray that December the 3rd, 2023 would be their spiritual birthday. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us tonight, teach us, remind us, convict us, help us, and we'll surely thank you for what you'll do in these next few moments. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you number one tonight. Number one, I want us to see the condition of Athens. I want us to see the condition of the city, the condition of Athens. First of all, it was a city full of splendor. It was a city full of splendor. Verses 18 through 21, it speaks of the philosophers. Uh, it speaks of the Stoics. It was a city full of splendor. Uh, full of the splendor of academia, full of the splendor of architecture, and full of the splendor of amusements, full of the splendor of academia. We mentioned it was it housed the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics, they accepted the fact of God, but believed that even God was ruled by fate. They were stern in their own righteousness. The Epicureans, they were atheistic in their belief. They denied the immortality of the soul. They declared pleasure as, excuse me, as the chief good. Epicurus had taught rational pleasure. However, they had perverted his teaching and involved themselves in illicit, immoral pleasures and relationships. The Athenians made a god of the mind. Some new thing, the splendor of academia. And by the way, we live in that today, don't we? My wife and I, we were talking even this week and and you know, we, we have this set idea today about how things are supposed to happen. And a, a young person, a young lady, a young man, when they turn 17 or 18 and they finish high school, we have it in our minds that they, they're automatically supposed to go to college and they're supposed to go there for four years. And by the way, parents tonight, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just I'm trying to give you an illustration tonight. We have this idea they're supposed to go to college for four years and they're supposed to do this and they're supposed to do that. And we were just talking and we were, we were thinking, and you know, years ago, very few people went to university. Very few people did. Most people, when they got to a certain age, and by the way, it was well before 17, it was usually about 12 or 13, when they got to a certain age, they entered in an apprenticeship. And then they would begin to work. Instead of being pigeonholed into what the culture said they had to do, you know, when I was a young person and I was in high school, culture told me and everybody in my high school and by the way, I went to a public high school. And everybody in my high school and my guidance counselor, everybody said, listen, if you don't go get a four-year degree, you're going to be a failure. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, my dad didn't get a four-year degree. 
And he's a good farmer. The hardest worker I know. Worked harder than anybody I ever knew and have ever known. And my whole point is simply this. We, 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 get, we get caught in this little, you got to do it, you have to do it this way. And culture dictates everything we do. Now listen, if, if your child is supposed to go to college, they ought to go to college. But that gets back to where we need to listen to the will of God and to the voice of God instead of listening to what culture tells us we ought to do. And if you don't do this, then you're not going to be successful. If you don't do this, you're not going to be successful. The splendor of academia, that's my point. We live in a nation like that today. We live in a world like that today, don't we? The splendor of architecture, excuse me, architecture. Athens was home to the Acropolis, a fortified, raised area holding a cluster of buildings. It housed the Acropolis, which housed the Parthenon. The, excuse me, the temple dedicated to Athena. And then thirdly, not only the splendor of academia and architecture, but the splendor of amusements. It's a city full of splendor. Boy, that's where we're at, isn't it? A city full of academia, of architecture, and amusements. Listen, I like to have fun. I know a lot of people don't think that, but I do. But boy, we're so amused today. To the point that if we don't have it, we don't even know what to do. We can't just sit by ourselves for 30 minutes without having some noise. Got to have noise. And we can't just sit and be quiet. By the way, how has that affected us? We can't sit and be quiet and listen to God. We have to have noise. Has to, TV has to be playing. Something has to be playing in the background. Otherwise, we, do, we just go nuts. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying when you get home, if you turn the... I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, think about that for a moment. We're so amused. We, we have so many amusements today. What do we... Hey, what's the next fun thing we're going to do? And the next fun thing we're going to do. The next fun thing we're going to do. The next fun thing we're going to do. Listen, when I was a teenager growing up, and I know my kids hate, hate hearing this because I hear it all the time, but when I was a kid growing up, um, the, the first amusement was we're going to get the ground ready in the spring. The next amusement was we're going to plant, or, or actually we're going to fertilize. Then we're going to plant. And then the next amusement is we're going to hoe all summer. I hate a hoe. I used to love it when my whole handle would break. And it would give me at least a 30-minute or an hour break. My daddy would always have one handy. He would put another one in. But it would at least give me a little break. And then in the fall, or in the early fall, what are you doing? You're harvesting. I remember one year my daddy planted, I've told you all this before, my daddy planted 20 acres of pimento peppers. You don't have a picker for that. Your two sons are the pickers. But boy, today it's like, hey, what fun thing are we going to do next? I've got some fun things for you. Amusements. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 1 and 4, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, and men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Hey, football stadiums were full today. Football stadiums all across this nation were full today. What about the church houses? Thousands, 60, 70, 80,000 people packed. Doesn't matter if the weather was good or bad or it was raining. Packed. And we can't drive our cars to the church house if it's raining. And I say we. I'm, I'm not talking about y'all. Y'all are here. I'm talking about just Christi American Christians in general. Number one, the condition of Athens. It was a city of full of splendor. Number two, it was a city full of superstition. 
verse number 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. There's a city full of superstition. We need to be careful about that. We're not a superstitious people. We base what we believe on the Word of God. You see a black cat run across your path tonight on your way home, don't let that scare you. All right, put an X and spit in it or whatever it is you got to do, you know. Don't, don't let that scare you. You know, something is said or something's done and we say, knock on wood, superstitious. Well, it not be like that. Because we're not a superstitious people. Our belief system is not based on luck. It's based on reality in the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in it. It was a city full of superstition, of splendor. Number three, it was a city full of sin. The sin of idolatry, verse number 16 says. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, the Bible says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. It was a city full of sin, the sin of idolatry. We've said it before, we'll say it again tonight. Anything that we put or we give, let me say it that way, anything we give greater preeminence in our lives other than the Lord Jesus Christ has become an idol. And that could be many, many things. That could be money. That could be our own children. Children become idols sometimes. Better be careful about that. Because God can quickly take idols away. I'm not trying to scare anybody tonight. But we ought to be careful what we make idols of tonight. And anything that we give a greater preeminence than God has become an idol. And in verse number 16, the Bible says Paul's spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now listen, they had idol upon idol upon idol. They had idols here. They, 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 had, they had the actual carved idols that we would think of when we think of an idol. And they had idols for everything. I was watching one of the college football games yesterday and, and one of the guys used the phrase, um, the football gods. There are no football gods. They're, they don't exist. There's one God. And the Bible says here that the, the Athenians were wholly given to idolatry. It was a city full of sin, of superstition and splendor. We see the condition of Athens, but number two, we see the concern of the apostle. The concern of the apostle. Verses 16 through 23, the concern of the apostle. Number one, his spirit was, excuse me, was stirred. Paul had a conviction about sin. His spirit was stirred, the concern of the apostle. And right here, right here, we're, we're giving, right here, we're giving what our response ought to be. What should my response be to paganism, to heathenism, to living in a, a world, living in a nation? And I, listen, I, I, I have always thought that we would never cross over or that I probably would never see the point where we crossed over that 50% mark where people had just absolutely lost their minds. And we're over that mark. We're, we're over it. And so whatever you, word you want to use for it, if you, I, if you want to use pagan, I don't know what word we ought to use. But how do you respond to it? You just give up, you throw, in your, you throw up our hands, throw in the towel, give up. How do we respond? First of all, our spirits ought to be stirred. We ought to have a conviction about sin. By the way, I'm not talking about our own sin per se, although we ought to start with that, right? We ought to be convicted first and foremost about our sin. Hey, are you listening to me? We, we can get angry about the sin of the world, and we should. We can get angry about the homosexual movement. We can get angry about the, the transgender movement. We can get angry about the, the uh, abortion crowd. We can get angry about all of that, and we should. But then we just overlook our sin. Well, well my sin's not that big of a deal. 
My pride's not that big of a deal. My, my profane tongue is not that big of a deal. My mind that is wholly given to looking at things that I ought not look at, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because, listen, I understand why the world does what they do. They're not saved. They need Christ. But we have Christ. We are saved. We ought to be different. We know why they live the way they do. But why do we do what we do sometimes? Because we're not right with God. And because we need to get right with Him. That's why the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. But revival begins in my own heart. I can, I can pray for revival in a nation, but if it doesn't happen in me first, it's not going to happen. If it doesn't happen in our church, it's not going to happen. If it doesn't happen in, in pockets, it's not going to happen. It's not going to spread because it starts individually with that person who says, you know what, I'm not right with God. I'm not doing what I ought to do. I do have sin in my life. I do need to be sensitive about the matter of sin. The concern of the apostle, his spirit was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. And we live in a day where we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But although the Bible says we ought, we ought not be offensive. And we ought not seek to be offensive to man. But it also says we ought not be offensive to God. And I should be more, more concerned about whether I'm offensive to God than whether I'm offensive to man. Now, I'd strive to be neither offensive to God or man. But boy, we just, we, we just oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. If they're living in sin, it's not about hurting their feelings. It's about helping them get out of that sin. That's going to destroy them somewhere down the road. If you have a friend or a family member who is living in known sin, you ought to help them get out of that. Fornication's wrong. Adultery's wrong. Gossip is wrong. Drunkenness is wrong. And if we have people in our sphere of influence, we ought to have a desire to help them get out of that. Before they reap the consequences, before, as Proverbs 1 says, before they reap the whirlwind. You sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 1. And then it also says it in the book of Hosea as well. You sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Paul's concern, the concern of the apostle was that his spirit was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. And very simply, the conviction was sin's wrong. Sin's wrong. Sin's what put Christ on the cross of Calvary. His spirit was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. Number two, his sympathy was stirred. He had a compassion for the sinner. Number one, his spirit was stirred. We're talking about the concern of the apostle. His spirit was stirred in verse number 16. He had a conviction about sin. His sympathy was stirred. He had a compassion for the sinner. The Bible says he disputed with them in verse number 17. In verse number 23, then Paul stood. And I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the Bible says, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. His spirit was stirred. His sympathy was stirred. But number three, his speech was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. He had a compassion for the sinner. And then thirdly, speaking about his speech, he communicated the salvation message. What's our response? What should our concern be? Our spirit ought to be stirred. We ought to have a conviction about sin. And we've been taught, especially in America, to live and let live. It doesn't matter what somebody else does in the privacy of their own home. It's not my response or it, uh, it's none of my concern. Now listen, it's right. that's right in the fact that I don't have to answer for that. But what people do in the privacy of our home, it, it does affect our society. And in that vein, it does concern me.
Amen and amen and amen. If someone does something in the privacy of their home that is crumbling and destroying the foundation of our civilization, that ought to concern me. Well, if, if a man and a man want to live together, whose business is it of mine? They, they, ought, they ought to be able to have love just like I have love with my wife. Wrong. Wrong. Because a man with a man is against God's set role and standard, and we could use so many different words there. It is against His authority and how He created us. Now that's easy to say tonight. Cause yeah, homosexuality is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Yes. But what about the other things that we kind of just sweep under the rug sometimes that we say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. His spirit was stirred. Paul had a conviction about sin. Sin is wrong. And by the way, it doesn't matter who does the sin. If it's sin, it needs to be dealt with. We all, I say we all, maybe some of you have been a part of or have heard of churches in the past where maybe the pastor or someone important in the church did something wrong and it was kind of hushed-hushed and nothing dealt with. That's wrong. If someone sins, that needs to be dealt with. doesn't matter who it is. And Paul his spirit was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. Sin is wrong. Sin is wicked. Sin is what put my Savior on the cross of Calvary. But even in the midst of that, his sympathy was stirred. He had a compassion for the sinner. His speech was stirred. He communicated the salvation message. He spoke boldly. He spoke plainly. And he spoke daily. He spoke boldly. The Bible says he disputed. He spoke plainly. By the way, that word disputed, it carries the idea of reasoning. Doesn't mean he was screaming and hollering at them, having an angry debate every day. It means he was reasoning with them, but he spake boldly. He spoke plainly. He spoke about Jesus Christ. He said, notice what he says in verse number 23. He's looking around and they had all of these gods and then they had this one in case they missed one of the gods. We don't want to miss anybody. And so they had this idol to the unknown God. Because we have all of our gods that we know about but if there's one we haven't heard about, we don't want to make him angry and we don't want to offend him. And so we're going to have this idol to the unknown God. And boy, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he used that. He said, listen, I'll tell you who that is because y'all sure aren't worshiping him. If you want to know who the unknown God is, verse number 23, he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. You don't know who he is but I'm getting ready to declare Him unto you. I'm getting ready to tell you who He is. I'm getting ready to show you who this unknown God is. And He's going to begin to preach Christ to them. You know what the answer is today? And you say, Pastor, that's just that simple. Okay, it may, it may be a little simple, but it is part of the answer. The answer is we need to open our mouths. And we need to tell people that their sin is wrong. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to tell them that their sin is wrong but we need to tell them that there was a Savior who came and died so that they could have forgiveness of sin. And so they don't have to worship all of these other things in their lives. The, the, the academia, the, the, the money, the amusements, we don't have to worship all of those other things. We have one person who deserves to be worshipped. Notice in verse number 24, he begins to speak about God. You know what this world needs to hear about? They need to hear about our God. They need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, not the Lord Jesus Christ that so many water down today. Because so many today, they talk about Jesus and they talk about the Lord. You'll hear, as we mentioned this morning, in the month of December, you'll hear the name Jesus. You'll see people with signs in the yard. And this, is just, this just makes me laugh. I saw one yesterday. But they have a sign in the yard, Jesus is the reason for the season. And then right beside it, and I'm not going to say what they had right beside it. But Jesus is the reason for the season. Do you really believe that? You see, we, we, we talk about Jesus. 
But people don't know who he really is. People don't know what he's really done. People really don't grasp the weight of what he really did for us. Because if they did, they they would not espouse this perverted grace that they teach. That I can take Jesus, but I don't have to take the way he wants me to live. And by the way, I don't have to live the way he lived. Can you imagine having a, um, a... Trying to think of the word I want to call him. Can you imagine an individual who would have disciples who would not expect them to live the way he lives? And that's what so many people think about Jesus today. Well, he doesn't expect me to live the way he lived. Now, are you perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Can we ever be perfect? No. Was Jesus Christ perfect? Yes. But he still has expectations for his children. But we live in a, a day of perverted grace where we have been given this license to sin. Hey, grace covers everything, and so I can live any way that I want to live, and it's okay. It's not okay. Paul was stirred. He had a conviction about sin. Uh, his sympathy was stirred. His spirit was stirred. His speech was stirred. And so he preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. How should we respond? Our spirits ought to be stirred. Listen, dear church family, we ought to be angry about sin. And by the way, please don't mistake, I'm not telling you tonight. How many of you know who Dr. Clarence Sexton is? Temple Baptist Church, Powell, Tennessee. He preached one night. He preached against abortion. Right to do. One of his college students there at Crown College mistook his message and went and set an abortion clinic on fire. Okay, that's not what I'm telling you to do tonight. (laughs) Whether I think that's right or wrong, I'm not telling you to do that tonight. (laughs) And he wasn't telling him to do that. I'm going to tell you what, we ought to be stirred about sin because we're not. And I'm I'm just talking about American Christians. We're not stirred about sin. We just put up with it. His spirit was stirred, his sympathy was stirred, and his speech was stirred, and he spoke about the unknown God. Look what he says in verse 24. Let me give you number three. We'll be done. Number one, we see the condition of Athens. Number two, we see the concern of the apostle. And number three, we see the charge to the audience. Two things. Paul says this unknown God is the creator. And secondly, he says this unknown God is the Savior. This unknown God is their creator. Look what he says in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. This, I'm te- he said, I'm going to tell you about this God. He said, him, this unknown God, him declare I unto you. He is the creator God. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He said, this unknown God is the creator. But number two, he said, this unknown God is the Savior. Look at verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Now simply, verse number 30, he's not saying that God overlooks sin. What he's trying to get them to understand is that, hey, God has sent someone to make a way possible for our sins to be cared for. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but now, in verse number 30, but now commandeth all men everywhere to do what? Repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Who's that man? The Lord Jesus Christ. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So Paul, excuse me, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed. He said, This unknown God is their creator. 
Number two, this unknown God is the Savior. He commands repentance. He judges in righteousness. He assures with the resurrection. He offers redemption. He demands a response. Some received, some rejected, some refrained, but He demands a response. This unknown God is the Creator. This unknown God is the Savior. He commands repentance. He judges in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. He assures with the resurrection. He offers redemption. He assures, he said, look, because Jesus Christ was resurrected, we can be assured that we're going to be resurrected one day. He offers redemption, but he demands a response. Some received, some rejected, some mocked. Some refrained. And by the way, if you refrain, by default you have rejected. You say, well, I, you, you know, politicians sometimes they vote present. They don't vote yay or nay. They just vote present. Huh. You vote present when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have voted no. Some received Him. By the way, the you see what the Bible says there? What's the word He uses? They clave. They clave under the Apostle Paul and what he was teaching and the message that he preached. How about certain men clave unto him and believed? Some received, some rejected, and some refrained. The condition of Athens, it was wholly given to idolatry. The concern of the Apostle, his spirit was stirred, his sympathy was stirred, his speech was stirred. He spoke boldly, he spoke plainly, he spoke daily. By the way, this is the proper response. We live in a world that is wholly given to idolatry. But you know what? I don't get up every day thinking this world is wholly given to idolatry. I don't get up every morning thinking that. I get up every morning thinking, Lord, what do you have for me to do today? Because it doesn't matter what the world does. It matters that God has given all of us a commission. And it matters that God has given every single one of us a ministry. He's given us something to do. And the response to the culture in which we live is to, be, to allow our spirit to be stirred and to have a conviction about sin. But then it's also the response is to have my sympathy stirred. Hey, listen, if you get angry about everything that's going on, but you don't ever open your mouth to tell someone about Christ, then you just need to be quiet. Now, we ought to be angry about sin. But if all, that, if all I ever do is complain and I never open my mouth to tell someone about the answer and to give somebody the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ, and the answer is a man who came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross of Calvary and shed His blood so that I could have forgiveness and redemption, if I don't ever open my mouth to tell somebody that, then what I really need to do is just close my mouth and be quiet. Because I'm just being part of the problem. Because what this world needs is they need Jesus Christ. What this world needs is they need the Word of God. What this world needs is someone to come along beside them and show them the abundant life that they can have through the Lord Jesus Christ and through His Word. And if all I ever do is complain about the darkness, I'm not showing anybody the light. Is it dark? Hey, some days it just feels like that's all around, that is all that's around you is darkness. I, I was in a store, and, I, and I'm done. I was in a store just a couple days ago, and I, I just, I was overtaken with the thought, our world is different. It's just different. By the way, it's different than it was five years ago. I just, I just, it just, that, that thought just, and I, I was just sitting there for a couple minutes. But hundreds of people in there, and, and that thought, just, our, our world is different. People are so different. Civility's gone. I mean, you smile at someone in the store, and you don't know if you're going to get a smile back or. <laughs> don't you smile at me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's no civility because we're living without God. So many people live this life without God. And you can see it on their countenances. 
You can see it in how they act. You can see it in their lives. There's no joy. And by the way, we ought not join them. The, over the next, by the way, you do know that three weeks from tomorrow is Christmas? Yeah! So in the next three weeks when you're out shopping, don't join them. The scowls and the grumpiness. Don't join them! Let them see a smile on your face. Let them see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. By the way, grab some of these thank you tracks and some of these Merry Christmas tracks. And when you walk through and you give them a Merry Christmas track, you better give them a smile. Let them know, hey, somebody's got something different. Not everybody is wholly given to idolatry. There are some people who still worship one God, who still love the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and they're living that out in their lives. Pastor, what do we do? Boy, things are just... Ah. Paul comes to Athens and is wholly given to idolatry. They had gods here. They had altars here. They had altars everywhere. They had an altar to an unknown God. Well, then you know what we do? We tell them about that unknown God. That's what we do. They don't know who He is. And we tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We let our spirit be stirred. Be, be sensitive to sin. We let our sympathies be stirred. Have compassion on the sinner. Aren't you thankful that you're saved tonight if you're saved tonight? Aren't you thankful for that? If you're not, you can be saved tonight. And then let our speech be stirred. Let's open our mouths. Speak boldly. Speak plainly. Speak daily. And who do we speak about? We speak about the Creator. We speak about the Savior. That's the charge that Paul gave to the audience. I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. He's the creator. He's the Savior. I have the answer. for what I know who you're looking for. This is who you're looking for. Not all these other little altars. Not all these other little gods. Money and, and fun and entertainment and, and intellectualism and degrees. That's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is this one unknown God and you don't know him yet, but I'm going to tell you about him. That's how we respond. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for your word. Father, help us as your people tonight to respond properly. Yes, we ought, we, we ought to be angry at sin. Our spirit ought to be stirred at sin. But at the same time, our sympathies ought to be stirred because people, a lot of people do what they do because they don't know you. Now some are just going to do it. They're, they're just going to do what they're going to do. and We know that. There are some who are just going to reject and reject and reject and reject. They harden their own hearts and they continue to reject. But Lord, we still need to tell them because we don't know who those people are. And Lord, we need to allow our speech to be stirred and I pray that tonight we would. Father, help us during this time of invitation. Father, if there be one here tonight that they're not sure that they're saved, if death were to take them tonight, they have no confidence of where they're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell, they're not sure. Lord, I pray that they would come tonight. Father, believers, I pray that we would just bend the knee and thank you for what you've done for us. And Father, just commit afresh and anew to give that message that was given to us to give it to someone else. If we're going to be thankful for what we have, we ought to be willing, as Paul, we ought to, we ought to understand we're a debtor, Father, and help us to give what we owe to other people. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're physically able with heads bowed and eyes closed. Miss Pam's at the piano. She's going to play. If you need to come tonight, if you don't know Christ tonight, if, if death were to take you tonight and you're not sure about where you would spend eternity, I'd encourage you to come tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ came. We're getting ready to celebrate that. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross of Calvary. He died and He shed His blood. He was buried and three days later He rose again. And He did all of that so that a man, a woman, boy or girl who will simply put their faith in what He has done and put their faith in His blood. The Bible says He'll save them. He'll wash away their sins. He'll forgive them. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
He became sin for us, the Bible says, who knew no sin. He took our place. He was our substitute. He was our propitiation. Do you know Christ tonight? Then if you do, let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. Let's have the, res- the right response. Let's don't be a part of the hedonism. God help you tonight. Let, 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 let me extend the invitation a little bit as well. If you're here tonight and you're living in sin and you know it, you need to get on the altar tonight and get that right. Get it right tonight. We ought to have a conviction about sin and its effects and what it does to us. Then, boy, we ought to allow our sympathies to be stirred. Have a compassion on the sinner. Then allow our speech to be stirred. Communicate the salvation message, the message about the Savior, the message about the unknown God, the God that so many don't even know, who they don't even know. He's the Creator. He's the Savior. We read that verse at this time of year, Matthew 1, 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Why is that important? Why is his name important? For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what people need to hear. Hey, there's someone who can deliver you from all of those idols. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for what You've shown us today from Your Word. Your Word that You have given to us, You have revealed it to us, Father. You have revealed to us who You are. You have revealed to us the purity of the salvation message in Acts 15. Tonight, You have revealed to us the Apostle Paul's response to a city that was wholly given to idolatry. Father, may that be our response to the people that we work with, the communities that we live in. Father, we, we should be the greater influence in our communities instead of, instead of allowing the world, the flesh, and the devil to do so. Father, help us to be stirred tonight. Help us to have the right response. Father, we pray that you'd go with us, give us safety as we go to our homes tonight, bring us back together on Wednesday, and we'll surely thank you and praise you for it. Help us this week. Help us to go out and be stirred and to speak. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed tonight.